0: previously on Popping
1: Collars. Uh, the woman whose name I can't pronounce who played Lady Bird has a Mexico birthmark on her cheek.
2: You know, Breda Gerwig? And, Bretta, no, Sasha no oh, Sasha. No, sasha.
1: It's not Sasha.
0: It's
1: like Sosha Sosha
3: Sasha. sasha I'm Irish,
2: so no, I'm going to say... So sure, Ronan.
0: <laughs> this is this is like the, the most entertaining podcast ever. It's just us yelling sh. Listen.
1: She's a person. <laughs> All right. I so, like her. Anyway, that's my favorite. That's your favorite.
0: We can go now, I promise. Here we go. Welcome to pop and Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. My name is Greg Knight. I am the Director of Children and Youth Ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me is my co-host, Liz Easton. Liz, welcome back. Hey, Greg. Thanks. Where are you and what do you do?
2: Um, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am the canon to the ordinary of the Diocese of Nebraska. And it's getting hot here in Omaha. My windows are open, and there's a guy playing banjo right outside my window. So if you hear some banjo music from As the inside, yes, you, do. Yeah, you do. What? exactly.
0: You know, it, when I think of Omaha, I think of banjo yeah, music, right? Through the window,
2: he's pretty That's good. It. It's sort of a summertime treat before the air conditioner turns on. <laughs> it's the outdoor banjo guy. All right, Rosen Buffett. Yes, it's not Warren Buffett, interestingly enough, who does play the banjo, as a matter of fact.
0: Oh, how about that? Fun fact. (laughs) And we have a couple of special guests. First up is a familiar voice on this podcast, Richard Burden. Richard, where are you? What do you do there?
3: I am in Brookline, Massachusetts, and I am the rector of All Saints Parish here. I understand there's a baseball game going on somewhere in the world that involves red stockinged. Fellows, and Yankees. Ah. We will discuss that tonight.
0: Occasionally. And if you're listening to this in September, maybe there's still Red Sox and Yankees playing (laughs) each other. (laughs) It's entirely possible. It's it's an evergreen podcast we have here. (laughs) And Richard has brought along our other special guest, Colin Stokes. Colin, where are you? I imagine you're in the same
1: place as Richard. And uh, what are you? What do you do? I'm actually on an island on the planet Octo, and I've oh. broadcast myself <laughs> here to uh, Richard's uh, little office. Um, well, it, it's an
0: amazing it's an amazing facsimile of you. If that
1: and I will probably fade away when it's all. <laughs> I live here in Brookline. I'm a father of two and a husband. And we go to Richard's. We go to, we, go we to. are part of Richard's congregation here at All Saints. Nice. And I talk and write about movies and parenting and social justice. Well, then you are in the Popping Collars wheelhouse, my friend.
0: (laughs) You have found the right podcast to uh, guest on here. Uh, This is episode 82 of Popping Collars, and our topic today is blockbuster movies. So this podcast was on a break back when Star Wars The Last Jedi came out. And so we missed out on all the controversies surrounding that film. But suffice to say, the large Star Wars fan base was a little divided on that movie, and many think pieces were written to make sense of it all. In fact, our guest today, Colin, wrote his own article about the reception of the most recent entry in the Star Wars saga. I think as we sit here on the verge of another big summer blockbuster movie season, it's a good time to take a step back and take stock of the legacy that a little shark movie called Jaws has given us (laughs) with these event movies and their bloated budgets and their mammoth expectations. Colin, I'm going to start with you, okay? Mm -hmm. Really simple question to get you started. You ready? What do you think big-budget movies owe their audience? Do you think they should follow a specific formula that casts a wide net for as many fans as possible? Or do you think blockbusters have room for nuance and the ability to
1: subvert expectations? Yeah.
0: (laughs) See, I told you it was easy. It's a
2: pretty (laughs) easy question. question.
1: No question. I think so. So, Richard, what... (laughs) You know, their fa- blockbusters are so fascinating because they, you know, nobody really invented this thing. The people who made Jaws didn't go. We are creating a thing that people yeah. can wait in line to see. They, you know, they didn't have enough screens. That's yeah. why people had to wait in line. And then the following summer, the, the same thing happened with Star Wars, and people started to go, "Huh, I guess, uh, I guess people really like movies." Now, what do Jaws and, and Star Wars have in common? I mean, they're exciting, fun pieces of entertainment. They've been exciting and fun pieces of entertainment before those two sure. movies. So then people quickly start to say, let's imitate those because... It becomes a business model. Yeah. And that that business model have has had its ups and downs in the decades since. If they're trying to get a blockbuster, they have told their... all of the reasons and the precedents for why this is going to be a blockbuster. Uh, And so many of those fail. And many of the movies that don't meet those criteria end up becoming blockbusters and then everyone imitates them. So I guess what I'm doing is getting to to, uh, a little bit of the unknowability of that question because Hollywood itself doesn't know which of the things it makes are going to be blockbusters.
0: When I think of blockbusters, I think of a pretty simple formula that's evolved i think you're right like this is a concept that's evolved over years but i think that we kind of know what it is we're talking about now which is an effects driven movie name actors like like either a big name actor or lots of names that you can attach to the marquee um and a massive budget usually a big marketing budget so it's something that's that's really that the studio's really banking on being a hit.
1: That's a good criteria. And I have one more. Oh, what's that? Just that it's based on an existing brand or intellectual property that has, uh, that you can sell. What's a, what's a blockbuster
0: that what's one of the earliest blockbusters that you remember going to see? And what was it that, that made it, made that movie feel different from just sort of regular movies that you saw at the time?
3: I do remember when Jaws came out and um, we were actually on vacation near the beach. I I grew up in Colorado, so I didn't know from sharks, but my parents would not let me watch Jaws. They would not let me go see it. So I didn't see the blockbuster Jaws until much, much later. So I guess the first one that I actually saw was probably Star Wars. Hmm. I probably saw that, 87 (laughs) times the summer that it came out Uh,
2: you know I'm sure that as a kid I saw some movies that were really big blockbusters but the first one I remember being really excited about and like going to I think I went to twice was Titanic yeah but I remember like that was a big deal and for me it mean it was totally marketed as a big blockbuster and it also matched up perfectly with my like hormonal landscape at the time you know like the big sweeping (laughs) romance leonardo dicaprio tragedy history it had it all sex in the back of an old car like it was just it was just all those (laughs) it was great
0: (laughs) yeah
2: yeah and i remember it being like um almost more feelings that I could handle. Like it was so big. The feelings of it were so sweeping and big. So that's kind of the one that strikes me. And I saw all the like Star Wars and stuff like that later on, you know, I have a brother, but um, the first, the one that I really remember latching onto in the theater was Titanic.
1: So that is so interesting, Liz, because Titanic, a, uh, People thought it was going to flop. People thought mm-hmm. of catastrophe.
0: For years. yeah, I mean, how long was that since Waterworld? Like Waterworld was like maybe two years before.
1: Yeah. It had been. It was by far the most expensive movie ever made. Everyone thought it was the stupidest idea. And then it,
2: everyone knows how it ends, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And it became an un- It became a kind of hit where people just couldn't believe people were still going to see it twenty-five times. And now we've had several of those. Some of them by the same director. But um, so, yeah, the perfect example of a movie that is a blockbuster, though the rest of the industry thought it wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I'm noticing a pattern in between Jaws and Star Wars and Titanic and even like Jurassic Park and the Mm -hmm. Marvels. There's and when you ask about like the first experience, mine was probably Mm E.T. And. First of all, I knew E.T. was a blockbuster because everybody else had seen it and I know I needed to see it because everybody else was talking about it. And that's true of all these movies. They generate this crazy kind of peer pressure to see it so you can Mm -hmm. be part of it. And I think one of the reasons that all these movies end up generating the word of mouth is a particular form of catharsis. There is a transcendent emotional climax to all of these movies. This release, this tremendous uh, rush that is about um, the most, you know, it's not tragic in most cases. Titanic is kind of tragic, but it's also kind of exhilarating. Mm -hmm. And and they all then resolve that tension in extraordinarily satisfying ways. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's many blockbusters that have a like mild climax or that end ambiguously. Mm-hmm. Like most of them end up being like let's set up enough of attention and conflict and characters that you want to know what happens, we're going to put them through something excruciating and then we're going to release you from it mm-hmm. with mostly John Williams music <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're going to tie the, tie the ring on it and send you out going, I cannot wait to see that again I cannot wait to tell my friends to see it Yeah, <laughs> certainly not the first ones I mean, you do have, exe- like there's Empire that
3: doesn't have that, there's, right. you know Infinity War, which ends on kind of a downer. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lot, lots of spoilers in Pop and popping um, just
0: We should just title this episode, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You know, when I when I was thinking of that question of, boy, what, what, what purpose do these movies serve? Do they cast wide nets or do they actually try to say something? I think that there's a difference between what a blockbuster is doing or is trying to do now than what Colin was saying when they were first created, you know, they're a happy accident when they're first created, but now you have this cathartic moment, you have this experience and it's so linked to the things that you value and the things that you like and the things that you enjoy and who you are, that when that property comes up again, you're invested in a way that if it doesn't meet your expectations, you feel personally offended. (laughs) Like that's, and that's what it seems like a lot of blockbusters do now is get people really excited to go see them, make them disappointed after it's over, but then get them really excited to come back for the next one.
2: Well, and if it does meet your expectations, then it's instantly nostalgic. Even if you don't have a personal relationship to that story because you're immediately drawn back into all the other times that you had that same experience. I don't know if it's intentional, but some of the
3: sort of self-perpetuating generation of this is the controversy that that generates. I mean, you know, Last Jedi came out and the fans were split on it. Half of them thought it was brilliant. Half of them were really disappointed in it, but that generated all kinds of blogs and posts and arguments and and now you know everybody's going to go see what whatever the next one is because we have to figure out who's right
1: yeah
3: (laughs) decide when that debate did did it really suck or was it really brilliant
1: so yeah there's there's a sense that we're doing copies of copies which is uh kind of an interesting phenomenon you're watching a story there are still original movies that become blockbusters, but the ones that are dominated, the ones that Disney owns are, um, Disney's also remaking their, their cartoons as live action movies. Right. Um, right. So like we're, which is also about fan service. It's like, we're not making that you're not going to watch Maleficent and be like neat movie about a witch. You're watching it going, this is a commentary on another piece of entertainment that I have already consumed And
0: you know, after the initial kind of excitement of them wears off, like 10 years later, you look back on these films and you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what I got so excited about. <laughs> um, like, I'm I'm really thinking of that with the new sort of Jurassic Park entries that are out now where it's like, boy, you tapped into the nostalgia that got people back in the theater. Like, oh, man, I remember t Rexes when I was a kid. And then if you give that if you give that movie like a year. On DVD or you know video on demand or something, really the cracks start to show in it. You know, <laughs> like boy, that movie's terrible.
2: <laughs> you know, <But> the dinosaurs.
0: <laughs> but it's
1: dinosaurs.
2: Yeah, I'll watch every Jurassic Park movie ever just because of the dinosaurs. There you go. Love them.
1: Yeah, I watched um, Jurassic Park and Lost World and Jurassic Park Three with my kid my son, and there are just not enough dinosaurs. <laughs> there
2: can never be enough dinosaurs. <laughs> because, because, yeah, yeah. Na- yeah.
1: And that's the one thing that you can say about the new ones is because they can, because computers yeah. can do it for cheap. Yeah. Now there's like plenty. Let's talk. <laughs> more, dinosaurs. <laughs> more dinosaurs.
0: Give me more dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, eating dinosaurs,
1: eating other dinosaurs. Like that's what I want. They're having all these scenes, and they're walking through the jungle, and they're talking... Not Jeff are no dinosaurs! <laughs> but yeah, the the stories provide no memorable emotional payoff. There's no... Mm-hmm. And yeah. In the original Jurassic Park, you feel this rush of like, oh my god, the, the T-Rex came out, and they saved them. That's amazing. Yeah. And you can still feel good about that, you know, however slow the movie is throughout. But the other ones don't have any feeling of oh, I was taken through something and mm. and you gave me a, a a rush.
0: Telling people you've got to see this. Like, that's a huge part of this. Like, you know, Richard was saying this this idea of like going to see Star Wars 87 times, but it wasn't like going to see Star Wars 87 times. It was like telling 87 of your friends, like, oh, you've yeah. got to see this movie with me. Yeah, like, with this me this see- is an incredible experience. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it, like I'm thinking specifically of Last Jedi because I think Ryan Johnson had something that he wanted to say in Last Jedi. And it's like, well, wait a second. This isn't the platform to say something, right? And like, if you want to say something, do that in brick, do that, you know, do that in looper. Like, don't say something in Star Wars. What we want to see in Star Wars is pew pew. And I just think that, like, I think that sometimes those are the expectations that we take to a lot of institutions where it's like, you know, um, so like we have a giant mega church near us. And I think, you know, a lot of the sentiment that I hear from folks there is like, well, I just want to show up and just do church. Like, I don't want to be involved. Like, I don't want to do like a bunch of stuff. Like, they're, they're blockbuster people. They just want to do their blockbuster thing. Mm. But I know that like there's still a spiritual longing there. There's still something that's being fed, right?
2: Absolutely. And like you see that in large churches as well. I mean, I think it has to do with, like I said, with authenticity and with the movement from sort of consumerism, which has totally influenced American Christianity and probably all religions in the last several decades, a move from that type of consumerism to real discipleship. And that's hard work, but big churches can do it too. And just like little churches do little churches, I think are sort of made for it because of the depth of relationship that already exists between people in a really small community. But when you see these mega churches, they thrive and grow because they're creating small groups that are super intentional and super, um, you know, beholden to mutual accountability and all the rest. Um, So I do think that there's a longing for that everywhere. Yeah connection right yeah not everyone buys into it of course a lot of people that is either too scary or too much or you want something different from church and i think that it's okay to try to meet that like i think that sunday morning like a good blockbuster with a great score um (laughs) ought to have a pretty um like an emotional arc that is a real emotional experience that people leave feeling touched and changed and renewed so and that takes a lot of attention
3: I think that's absolutely right. I I served as a much smaller church before I came here. And somehow out there, there's a narrative that all movies should be blockbusters or all churches should be big churches. And if you're not doing that, you're somehow failing.
2: I think that too, there's a grass is greener syndrome on both sides of the equation. Like small churches look to big churches and say, if only I had those resources, my resources are so stretched and big churches look to small ones and say, if only I had that intimacy or if only I had that um, flexibility. And the truth is that no matter what size your church is, if you're doing ministry, you're stretched no matter what, like it's, it's a scale. So really big churches have um, more programs to run and that's expensive. They have bigger assessments to pay and that's expensive. They have the building to maintain and, you know, all of the rest. It's all like, we're all kind of chugging along here and the grass is not greener. There are beautiful things on either side or, you know, are all across this spectrum, but it's just different. I like that word failure because I think that sometimes we do
0: see things in those respects it's like you know when we were talking about water world being a bomb or something like that you know um just from the blockbuster end of things like i think we can i think we tend to apply that you know that to to sort of membership and numbers and uh stuff like that in our world where it's like um boy if we don't hit that pledge number we're a failure you know if this is our measuring stick pledge numbers and membership numbers then what's Like, what's our message?
2: Yeah, and I think it is important to pay attention to the numbers. I think like anything else, if you track the numbers, they're likely to grow. And, um, you know, Jesus tells us that, you know, to go out and make disciples of all nations. And, you know, hopefully we are spreading that and growing. But Jesus also promises us that whenever two or three are gathered, he is present. And every priest I know, including myself, in a super large church— knows what it's like to bust it for a program and only two people show up. <laughs> and so that happens in big churches and it happens in small churches. And the, what the common denominator is, is people just being faithful yeah. and doing their jobs. The story
1: of It's a Wonderful Life bombing mm. um, yeah. is one to keep in mind. Wizard of Oz being mm. sort of forgettable at the time. The movies that we'll probably keep watching, whether they were expensive blockbusters or little scrappy ones, are the ones where the people who made them believed in the story that they were telling and uh, gave their best they their performances, the makeup, mm-hmm. the sets, the editing, the score um, they just wanted this to to affect the people who are gonna participate in it. Mm-hmm. And they're movies that we want to watch with our family, they're movies that we mm-hmm. want to show to, or, you know, somebody on a date and say, like, this is a movie that means something to me to Do you. Does it mean something to you? Mm-hmm. And, um, that's not that different, is it, from uh, from sharing the, the gospel?
2: No, and it's a lot like the Jesus story. Like, who saw that coming? Like this little band of, right. of, you know, weirdos who were really committed to, you know, a beautiful message. And it looked like it was, it looked like a failure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now here we are. Pretty big blockbuster. Pretty big blockbuster. Pretty big blockbuster. <laughs> big blockbuster. <laughs>
0: Staff pick, which has become a thing. I was at my local Trader Joe's, and the the Trader Joe's employees had staff picks of items that they liked on an end cap, and i I got weirdly excited and sort of took credit for it, even though I'm peanut probably... butter filled pretzels
3: and things. <laughs> and
0: I, yeah, it's like oh. it's like peanut butter filled pretzels and um, and popcorn and kale chips. I didn't pick the kale chips. Oh. That staff member and I do not see eye to eye. <laughs> uh, but uh, today, Liz has our staff pick. So, Liz, what have you picked for us?
2: Thanks, Greg. I want to say two things. One is an update on my last staff pick because I just can't let the moment go. Um, I I may have. I did talk in my last staff pick about the book I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which is about her obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. About a week ago, they caught the Golden State Killer. They caught him by using DNA. Um, Michelle McNamara has since passed away. It was a big, beautiful moment to celebrate her work and, um, of course, justice for the victims of their families. And it's a rare thing to catch, to, like, solve a cold case. So it's kind of just a moment of excitement. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Yes. And, like, c- catching a serial killer is, like, my Super Bowl. So yeah. it was a big day. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was, it was huge. I was texting Liz yes, as I, I was.
2: So my staff pick for today is um, a quick one because it's not, it's just unfolding. Um, and it's uh, related to an episode that popping Callers did last year. It is season two of handmaid's tale, which has just come out on Hulu. And um, I, wa- I was late to season one. I waited until I could buy it on Amazon prime, which is um, an investment. And I loved it. It's super dark. It feels super timely. Um, and also just beautifully shot and acted and directed. It's just lovely and scary. And then season two is not disappointing. It's um, same great cast, slow reveals about like what happened to create this um, theocratic society of Gilead and how these women got wrapped up in um this super oppressive, scary regime. And um, it's just really great. It's intense. So um, like trigger warnings and all that, but um, it's really a great show. I commend it to you. I actually got a Hulu subscription so I could watch it. And it's all new
3: material, right? Because season one yes. ended when the book did.
2: Yeah, last season ended when the book did. And I think that um, Margaret Atwood is consulting on it. So it's sort of true to her vision. And I don't know, it's been so long since I read the book that I don't know if they're bringing some of the backstory in now or not. Um, Yeah. So I'm not sure, but it's all new material, which feels risky for a book of that stature to choose to continue the story. But um, so far so good. It's really impressive. Mm -hmm. Good pick Liz. Thanks.
0: And check out our Handmaid's Tale episode in our archives. You can find Popping Collars on the web at PoppingCollarsPodcast.com You can find us on all the social media platforms. Just type in Popping Collars in the search bar uh, and we'll pop up, I'm sure. And of course uh, you can get our podcasts in all the usual podcasting apps uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud Apple Podcasts I've been saying iTunes. Like Apple Podcasts is like a thing now. I think they do this on purpose to make podcasters have to change their outros um, yeah. at the end so tell you where to sign up. Just don't forget to um, subscribe, rate and review the podcast. That would be great. And if you would like to support the show financially and get some sweet, sweet merchandise at the same time, you can buy one of our t-shirts. just go to slash t shirts It's poppingcollarspodcast.com slash the letter t hyphen s-h-i-r-t-s sure (laughs) i just i don't want anybody to get lost i want them to be able to find it and finally uh you can find our show and lots of wonderful episcopal podcasts on episcopalcafe.com we love episcopalcafe.com we know you will as well check them out for all your episcopal news needs and beyond and with that that is popping college for this time thank you liz thank you richard thank you colin for coming on the show. We will see you next time.